morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we're celebrating our 30th episode. This week, we're actually being featured on Podbean as one of the recommended podcasts to take a listen to, so really grateful for that. And on top of all of that, we just reached a milestone of 5,500 downloads. Actually, we're up to 5,634, so ever-growing, super grateful for all the people that listen to us. Uh, just another one other announcement. Next week, we're actually going to be a guest on Varmints, which will air on November 30th, so definitely take a listen to that. It'll kind of hook into one of our previous episodes about d dogs and wolves, so have a listen to that. Definitely stop by their show and give them a listen. It's very informative, and they have all sorts of episodes based on the animals that are in our world and getting more information on them, debunking some myths, getting some tips on different species from all around the world. So like I said, give it a listen. It's Varmints and our guest appearance will be on November 30th. In honor of all of our amazing listeners, I decided to do a special episode of Coffee and Canines. I got some interesting questions over the past couple of weeks, and I've kind of been tempering which ones I would release when. And today I've got five different questions that I think it's time to address and answer. Our first question comes from Jennifer Grant in Denver, Colorado, and Jennifer writes, Dog Guru, I'm searching for a Christmas puppy for my daughter. She wants a small dog, and I told her to tell Santa. In the meantime, I've been contacting some different breeders in our area, but after speaking with them, I feel like I'm being dismissed. What am I doing wrong? Hey there, Jennifer. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I think I might have an idea as to what's going on here. So... I'm just going to throw it out there. In previous episodes, I kind of talked about how different breeders will screen their owners. There are some breeders who do not necessarily want their dogs, especially small dogs, going to families with young children. That perhaps is connected to the fact that they don't want to risk injury to their dog. And a lot of children do not know how to interact with a dog. They don't know if they're, you know, doing anything dangerous by the dog. And frankly, they just don't want to turn a dog over to a situation they're not 100% on board with. The other thing I think could be at play here is that if you're telling breeders, and I'm not saying not to say this, but if you're telling breeders that you're getting the dog as a gift, A, for a child, and B, for Christmas, that could be a turnoff to certain breeders. Um, and again, that goes back to their screening process. They want to make sure that the dog that they turn over is going to be kept well and kept for the duration of its life in a safe environment. So if they feel like this is kind of a gift on a whim sort of situation, they're less likely and less inclined to necessarily work with you. There are breeders out there that, you know, get a litter ready just before Christmas so that, you know, families who have been considering getting a puppy can have one in time for Christmas, but there are, you know, different breeders operate differently. I have one friend that always has a litter ready before the holidays. I have another one that refuses to breed anytime around the holidays because she doesn't want to run the risk of after the holidays, as the dog matures, someone losing interest in it and perhaps never even wanting it in the first place. You know, she was telling me a couple of weeks ago about how a young woman was trying to get a dog for her mom for Christmas and this particular breeder turned her down altogether. And it wasn't because she didn't think that the person was well-intentioned, but like she told the potential candidate, she was like, listen, 
I don't know if your mom even wants a dog. And for that reason, I don't feel comfortable without her personally contacting me and giving me feedback and me being able to do vet checks through her current vet. I just don't feel comfortable doing it. Like I said, there are breeders that will, there are breeders that do, but you know, you have to keep in perspective that their first concern and responsibility is to that of the breed they love so much. That's why they're breeding. So while you may have a really good home, you may run into an excellent breeder who just isn't comfortable with turning over a dog as a Christmas present. All that being said, I do not recommend lying about your purpose in getting a dog. If it isn't a good fit, it isn't a good fit. And breeders are going to kind of sift through potential homes in an effort to find the best fit for their dog. And like I said, that might not have anything to do with the fact that you want to make it a Christmas present. It could just be because you have a young child at home. And if neither of those sound like what you think is going on is going on, there could be a third factor, one that perhaps they're considering for the environment of the dog. You know, if you live in an apartment versus a home, there are certain breeds that do not do well in small spaces. Since you mentioned you want a small breed, those are harder to find, but if you wanted something like a mini Aussie, while they technically will fit in an apartment, they need a lot of exercise. I don't know exactly what breed you were going after, but that could be another reason. Also, just so you know, a lot of rescues will not allow you to adopt if your intent is to make it a Christmas present. So just so you know that, and that's really for the same reasons I listed off earlier. If you haven't already, definitely give my previous episode, Kids and Dogs, It Seemed Like a Good Idea, a listen because there's lots of things there that you'll want to consider and think about before you actually add a dog or puppy to your home, as well as tips and tricks on how to get dogs safely interacting with children. In the meantime, Jennifer, I do wish you guys luck and a happy, healthy holiday season. Our next question comes from Candace L. of Chicago, Illinois, and she writes, Dog Guru, do you believe in holistic treatments for dog illnesses? I don't want to load my dog down with drugs simply because a vet says to do it. What are your thoughts? My most honest answer is it depends, which is kind of vague, I know, but really it depends on what you're trying to treat. It depends on how severe a situation is and really what the time turnaround is. While I love that there are holistic vets and holistic options for owners, for me personally, there's a time and a place. You know, I know some owners that have always used holistic options for their dogs, short of giving it a rabies shot every year. And then I know owners that kind of do a combination of the two. Sometimes they use uh, a more natural holistic option for a dewormer. And then some of them use holistic options for like a flea preventative. And there are a ton of other, you know, holistic options for, you know, minor uh, medical conditions, you know, treating lacerations. I don't say that it doesn't work. But on the opposite side of the coin, if you have a dog that has a huge leg laceration, you at least want to take them into the vet and have it looked at. So this way the dog can be triaged and you're off to a good start and you're preventing things like infection. All of that said, there is a time and a place, like I said earlier, for holistic options. 
And for another thing, I always told owners, both when I was a trainer and specializing in behavior and even seeing dogs in a clinic on a regular basis, don't sacrifice my judgment for your own. But when you're talking about things like an internal illness or things like an injury, you know, the proper treatment is really important. And that can come in a lot of different forms. Uh, I would always tell people if they were on the fence about what I was seeing, to go get a second opinion. I mean, we have a big, wide animal community out there. So you don't have to go on one person's piece of advice, especially if it's a severe situation. You know, go get a couple of opinions and then make an informed decision. So to answer your question, I do think that, you know, holistic options can be excellent options. But you need to weigh that against what's really going on with the dog. And you certainly don't want to self-diagnose the dog. The wrong diagnosis, whether it's from a vet or from you as an individual, can have dire consequences for your canine companions. So be smart about it. And if you truly just feel like your vet is pumping your dog full of medications, perhaps look into other options when it comes to other vets in your area. You know, you have to feel confident and comfortable with the person who is treating your animal, whether it were a holistic vet or a mainstream Western medicine vet. In either case, if you don't really feel like you gel well together, or perhaps there are situations you just don't really feel like are being properly resolved and you're just kind of putting a band-aid on the problem, then look elsewhere. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your vet, but the fact that you have some aversion to the medical advice that he's dispensing or she's dispensing to you makes me think that perhaps it's not the right fit for you. And don't forget, you can always ask people that you know who have dogs, who love their vets, who they're using, what sort of things in the past have their dogs been treated for, what was the protocol. So this way you can kind of get a feel for an individual before you ever meet them. And then you can also set up a tour to go visit a clinic and even meet with the vets and some of the staff which can give you a more accurate picture of what it would be like to bring your dog in as a patient there. Our next question comes from Marianne Klein, and she is in the UK. And she says, my dog is on Prozac. The vet just prescribed Trazodone as well. He isn't the same dog, though. Not only is he lethargic, but I don't want him to be on medication for the rest of his life. Is there anything I can do to help with his stress and maybe even stop his anxiety altogether? Just in case you're wondering, I'm an American. Love the show and looking forward to hearing your take on this, Marianne. Okay, so having been exposed to a lot of different levels of anxiety in dogs or hyperactive behavior, there are a lot of reasons why a vet will prescribe different medications. That being said, while you are treating some of the symptoms, the fact that your dog is actually lethargic could mean the dosage is wrong. It could also mean that it's not the right medication altogether for your dog. And you aren't fixing the cause of the anxiety. Now, that's not to say stop giving your dog the medication. What I am going to say is perhaps it's time to involve a behaviorist who can give you, and, and you know, a clinical behaviorist will have their degree in veterinary medicine. So, you know, having a clinical approach along with somebody who really focuses on behavioral components of anxiety, I think that would be a better marriage for the situation that you're kind of experiencing. So this way, if your dog starts resolving some of the inner conflicts or starts getting comfortable with certain triggers, perhaps over time you can 
move away from using as much medicine or kind of taper off. So for me, I, I just feel like, you know, medication is not the worst option, but for me, it needs to be in tandem with an actual long-term solution for the dog developmentally, um, emotionally, and without the, that component in place, you're always going to more than likely need to medicate the dog. And most vets will tell you that they don't want to do that. They don't want to medicate the dog indefinitely. So a couple of suggestions, call your vet, tell them that your dog's behavior has completely shifted and kind of describe to him what or her, what you've just told me, and perhaps they might adjust the dosage and then ask if they know an animal behaviorist in your area, or perhaps there's somebody within their clinic that offers um, consultations on animal behavior. And if not, you can always Google it. There's typically someone everywhere. I mean, Sometimes it's only one someone, but they're out there. The next thing I would do is I'd set up a consult with this person and start talking about what the dog is doing, what they were doing beforehand, what kind of medication they're on, all of that good stuff. And then they'll probably want to come over to your home and evaluate the dog. And then they can start to develop a treatment plan that will really help you reach some success. Now, there are exceptions to every rule. Um... In a small number of cases, sometimes medication really is the best way to go, but I would never assume that that's the only thing that you can do for the dog, especially since it isn't neutralizing anything within them mentally. It's just kind of calming them down on the outside. You know, mentally, they could still be experiencing the high heart rate, you know, inflated cortisol levels. There's just, there's a lot that could be going on that outwardly you just can't see. For another thing, you know, extended periods of stress on a dog, just like with people, will affect their health in a negative way. It can take years off their life. It can cause stress on their heart. So I applaud you for taking an active role as an advocate for your dog and trying to find a solution so that they're not constantly stressed. But now it might be time to reach out to a qualified animal behaviorist, somebody who has experience working with uh, anxiety cases and who's had successful outcomes. So thank you, Marianne, for writing into us from the other side of the pond. I'm sure the U.S. misses you, but I'm glad that you wrote into the show. Our next question is from Elliot Dermott from Rhode Island, and he writes, My German Shepherd dog is starting to show some aggression at about six months old. I was told to grab the stuff, scruff of his neck, lay him down, and stand or sit over him to show him I'm the pack leader and that he cannot dominate me. What would your advice be and why? Hey, Elliot. So I'm going to tell you that a long time ago, we started to learn that the dominance theory that you kind of just described is not the most effective technique for a lot of reasons. Um, it breaches trust. It actually can cause the dog to get inflammatory in other areas, and it isn't the best way to connect with your dog. And while in the past it was commonplace to use that sort of methodology, we have so many more innovative strategies to reach goals and to alter and change aggressive behavior for the better. There are a few things that I want you to consider and keep in mind. First of all, German Shepherds are extremely brilliant dogs. They're very motivated. They can be very strong-willed. But once you get them on the same page as you, you can end up with the perfect dog. I mean, they're, they're brilliant. They're nice dogs. But they will challenge you. And the way you respond to that challenge matters. If you try 
a more combative approach, like scruffing him on the neck, someone might tell you, well, this is how their mom would do it. Well, you're not their mom, first of all. Secondly, it isn't something that she would do over and over and over. And it certainly has its own context. So without knowing the inner workings of a maternal figure of your dog's life, I don't go that route. Plus, you really don't have to. And there could be a time within that dog's life where he will physically be able to overpower you. And you definitely don't want to charge a mentality, essentially, you know, fueling the fire by trying to show your dog who's boss. Like I said, you know, we've come a really long way when it comes to training and behavior modification. And those techniques we've learned in essence, are more abrasive than they are effective. And often dogs will show issues elsewhere, even if the first thing they were being corrected for seems to be extinguished, you're actually causing problems in other areas. And it can surface as anxiety, it can surface as opportunistic behavior. There's a lot of different ways that it can filter out because you haven't actually addressed the problem. Another important point to note is that alpha rolling specifically doesn't actually instill leadership. It doesn't establish you as the leader. In fact, when we really dig deeper, it damages the dog's relationship with the owner, in some cases permanently and very seriously. So why is this? Well, from a dog's perspective, they feel that they're actually being attacked, which has a few different results. The first problem it can create is the dog feeling that it needs to be self-protective, which will result in one of two responses. They'll either fight or they'll flee. If he can't get away from what he interprets as an aggressor and attacker, sooner or later it's going to manifest with a bite. One of the biggest drawbacks to doing something where you're physically dominating a dog is that once you install that protocol, you can't ever, ever get away from it. So while your dog right now is physically manageable for you to wrangle into the position that we just discussed, long term, as he gets bigger, as he gets heavier, as he gets stronger, you're still going to need to be doing that. And that's actually more dangerous and it's doing more harm than good. On top of all of this, you then become an unpredictable entity to a dog. So they're always kind of on high alert, even if outwardly it doesn't seem like that, because there is no bond now, there is no trust, or it's so limited that it, when it's really called upon for use, the handler may very well see a degradation in behavior, both unsavory behaviors and trained behaviors, because you've pulled them away from their ability to properly bond with you. And that actually is the basis of a lot of breeding we've done. So by breaking that process down and essentially forcing them into such a unsettling emotional profile and position, and also making them question the stability within their state of being as a whole, you might see them withdraw, you might see them show characteristics of anxiety-based behaviors. And on top of all of this, fear not only breaks down the relationship between dog and owner, but it also creates depression within the dog. A fear-based motivation will not gain you the respect you're looking for. The, you know, if you wanted to know how I would handle it, first of all, I would identify in what context with what triggers the dog reacts. When is he aggressing? Then I would kind of pull that apart and say, okay, is it random? Is it 
surfacing on a daily basis? Is it several times a day? Is it a couple times a month? You know, there are sometimes cases where you have a hormonal imbalance within a dog that can cause them to aggress, but there's a ton of other reasons why a dog would aggress. But you never combat or fix aggression through a fear-based motivation or a pain-based motivation. In my experience, when I've seen trainers that use fear or when it's suggested to the owner to dominate a dog, what I see most in those dogs are a lot of behaviors that are neurotic or reactive, and they become harder and harder to essentially, quote, control. Specifically when fear is in the mix, learning and education are arrested to the dog. They, they completely shut down, whether they seem like it outwardly or not. You've not only extinguished your opportunity to field a better response, but you've also put the dog into that fight or flight instinct, which means he is no longer focused on why you offered such a harsh correction. Now he's focused on how to avoid that in the future or how best to respond to that in the future. He is no longer focusing on what brought you to that level. And for another thing, a lot of owners, when they do the alpha rolling, they're already upset with their dog, which intensifies the entire experience in a pretty negative way. In my humble opinion and with my experience, I can tell you that fostering a method of communication that's not only safe for the dog, but you as the handler will always win you out. And positive reinforcement really allows that to happen. Now, there might be some people out there that will say, you know what, when you're dealing with aggression, you have to fight fire with fire. Well, that's the thing. They already had a reason to aggress in the first place. It's easy to assume that your dog is aggressing because they're trying to show their dominance, their superiority over you. But honestly, it is extremely rare that that's the case. And even when you do have a really alpha-minded dog, a really dominant dog, the way to handle that is not fighting fire with fire. It's education, teaching them not only how to calm their bodies, but how to calm their minds, which then brings down cortisol levels. You see less incidents, uh, if any, of reactivity. But I'll tell you one thing you definitely won't see, the aggression get amplified. So my suggestions based on, you know, what you've disclosed to me thus far would be hire an animal behaviorist, somebody that specializes in fosters and is a proponent of positive reinforcement instead of using some sort of training aid that can essentially force your dog into a position you ask for, but you never actually get compliance from them. If a dog truly respects you, they'll offer the behavior you ask because you ask it, not because they're afraid of what will happen if they don't. If you'd like to write back into the show and kind of give me a little bit more history on what is going on and the surrounding circumstances, I'd be happy to consult with you privately and give you some suggestions, or I can talk on air about this topic again. I definitely think it warrants a conversation. Uh, I definitely don't want you to feel like you're in the dark or that this information is very vague. So if you want some personalized advice, please contact me and you can do that via email dogguru here for you at gmail.com. And our very last question of the day comes from Harriet Livingston of Dallas, Texas. She asks, what is your favorite thing about doing this show? I love the episodes you put out and how you approach your topic. I love listening to you and I'm a true fan of yours. So keep up all the good work. Well, thank you so much. Okay, well, to be honest with you, there's a lot of things I love about using a broadcast as a way to reach people. The reason 
the top of my reasons would be that I can now reach a much wider audience who perhaps really needed help, really needed guidance, really needed a professional opinion, but perhaps couldn't afford to have a trainer come to their home. Or maybe you have an owner that's done a lot of reading, but they're not really sure what of that texts is really applicable to their dog or their personal situation. So I think the the greatest gift in doing this podcast for everyone is that I get to reach a lot of people that couldn't have found me otherwise. And that perhaps at the time when I was running my company couldn't have afforded my services. I've always felt, um, a deep desire to help people. And personally, to me, I feel like education shouldn't be limited to somebody you spend thousands of dollars to hear from. I think it should be open to everybody who's really asking for it. And then perhaps just wants a little extra feedback. I mean, if you haven't realized by now, by listening to me, that I'm not one of those people that tells you that this is the only way it can ever be done. I'm not the type of person to tell you my way is the only way that's good. What I do tell people is based on my experience, what worked best for the dogs, what communication was safest for the dogs, what yielded the best results for the owner. And for me, that was positive reinforcement. But you'll never hear me go trainer for trainer bashing different methodologies. I just try and offer an extra layer to that because there's a million different theories out there. And I feel like you know, an owner who truly loves their dog and wants to invest themselves in not only educating themselves, but the dog by extension, I I truly feel like that information should be out there for you. And the truth is that trying to convert someone to thinking your way because you say it's best is really not a way to get your point across to anyone. You're going to be faced with a lot more obstacles than if you were just like, hey, this is what I did. It worked. This is how I got there, and here was the journey that we went on. Quite frankly, you know, going on an effort to convert somebody is like a fool's errand in and of itself. People will either gravitate towards what you're saying and focus on the benefits of your techniques and the way you work, or they won't. I mean, if it doesn't fit in their ear or it's just not an emotional match, then it won't work. I couldn't force somebody to believe what I believe. And I would never want them to feel forced any more than I would want their dog to feel forced. And the other thing I like about this show so much is that I feel like we've really been accepted with open arms. I feel like there are so many people out there that are listening and we're getting people from all over the world who are sending in questions and engaged with the show. And for me, as somebody who has spent a very long period of their life devoting themselves to the betterment of the canine world and their people, I mean, that's a really enriching experience for me too. And I think another important thing to take away from me today specifically is that I always feel like I'm learning. I am never going to say that I have stopped my education and or something like, well, I've got all the information I need. This is the way that it has to be. I believe in always having an open dialogue, just like I would instill in a client. I would definitely always try and reach out to people who perhaps have a different opinion than mine. Because if I'm not open, then I'm really slighting not only the dogs that I love, but the owners that they love. So I try my best not to seem closed off from listening to other people's opinions. Uh, You know, it's through that that we ended up with innovative strategies to reach our canine clients that knowledge wasn't always there. It was through keeping an open mind that we were able to kind of 
get from one era to another. I've recently reached out to a lot of people that I learned from throughout my career or were mentors of mine or people who inspired me throughout my career and my journey. And I've reached out to them in hopes that perhaps they'll get involved with the show. And I've had a really great response. So in the coming new year, we've got a lot of stuff that's lined up and a lot of great people who you're going to hear from. And I think that's amazing. You know, that's not something I could have ever created as just your everyday behavior modification specialist. So not only is it a great opportunity for my listeners, but it's an excellent opportunity for me, not only so that I can continue learning along with you, but also so that I can connect with the people who so deeply affected me earlier on. I want to take a brief moment to thank everybody who listens, who shares us with their friends and family, who's shared us on their professional groups or their pages or connected with us in some form or fashion. I am so deeply grateful to you for not only contributing to the show and falling in love with this process like I have, but also exposing us to the people that you love and respect because that's really meaningful to me. If you would like to write into the show, as I said earlier, you can email me directly at you at gmail.com. You can also schedule private sessions with me through Calendly and uh, you can pay for pay- through PayPal. Super easy process. If you're interested in that, you can always email me and I can walk you through the steps to do that as well. We're right now running a promotion 20 for 20. So basically for 20 bucks, you can get 20 minutes one-on-one with me and I'll even record the session so that you reference it whenever you want at a later stage. And it might even end up on the show. So feel free to email me about that or you can click on our main page. It's off to the right where you can schedule that. And if you haven't already, go ahead and join our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash dog guru podcast. All the latest and greatest information will be posted there. And we've got some new things coming up on the horizon for our show, for our listeners. So all of those announcements will show and appear there. And then you can find us on Instagram and Twitter as well. If you love the show, you want to keep hearing it, go ahead and rate us on iTunes. I always include steps on how to do that in the show notes. The higher the rating, the more exposure we get. And once again, I want to thank Podbean for featuring us all week. I really appreciate the exposure and I hope we've reached lots of new listeners and that we can reach new dog lovers and new dog owners and help them too. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. Namaste.